0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Bluewire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, all you beautiful people out
1: there, what is going on? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of the future award-winning Talk of Buffalo podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. You can find me on Twitter, at Pat Moran Thank you very, very much for locking in. I appreciate each and every single one of you. i tell you what, got a good show today. I'm excited about this one. I always love talking to former Buffalo Bills. One of my favorite things to do on this podcast, because I think you just get perspective from them that you're not gonna get from anyone else. And that's gonna be the case today because I got former Buffalo Bills tight end, Butch Roll. He's gonna be my guest in just a minute. Butch played in the NFL for eight seasons, including six with the Buffalo Bills. And I'll tell you what, folks, if you were around in the late 80s or early 90s, or you're just a historian of the team, you know the team well, the history of the team, you know Butch Roll. I promise you, you know Butch Roll. Because if nothing else, you know all that man did was catch touchdown passes. Folks, 10 consecutive pass receptions Butch Roll caught, went for touchdowns with the Buffalo Bills. Starting in 1987, And went all the way through part of 1991. 10 straight catches, 10 touchdowns. That is, without question, to me, one of the most unbelievable stats I've ever heard in my life. One of my favorite Bills stats of all times. Butch was a good player, man. He was part of two Buffalo Bills Super Bowl teams the first two years that the Bills went. And we'll spend some time today talking about building that team from the ground up. And I mean that quite literally because I'm going to tell you what, when Butch Roll came to the Buffalo Bills, they stunk. They stunk. They were a disaster. They were maybe the worst team in the NFL, one of the worst teams ever in the NFL in the mid-80s. And even his first year back in 86, the Bills were just 4-12. They were a disaster. And we'll talk about that process of building the team, Bill Polian, Marv Levy, and transforming it, of course, into the perennial Super Bowl contenders that Buffalo our Buffalo Bills fans all uh, you know, came to, to know and love. So we'll do that. We'll talk about his life. We'll talk about his career. We'll talk about the Butch Roll Foundation, which, by the way, and we'll talk about this during the interview, Butch has a charity event coming up, a bowling charity event in West Seneca this weekend at Strikers on Saturday, 11 a.m. Uh, so we'll hit on that much more with former Buffalo Bills touchdown machine, Butch Roll, in just a second. I'll tell you, you know, I got to comment on this real quick too. So everybody knows if you listen to the show anyway, you know that I've been back in Buffalo now for about five, six weeks and I'm happy kind of going through that honeymoon phase. And this weekend, what a weekend this was here in Buffalo. What a good weekend. People out, weather, great people out enjoying the summer, people out living their best life, which is hard to do in these days. These times are tough times, but man. What a good weekend to be in Buffalo, huh? You had, and these are both just Saturday. Luke Bryan at Darien Lake. I know some people who went to that, had a great time. Then, of course, Billy Joel, uh, he filled up Highmark Stadium. Man, I should have went to that. Should have went to that freaking concert. I'm so mad that I didn't go. And I could have went. I could have got tickets, and I could have got them cheap. But I kind of had a commitment with a couple buddies, and I did not end up going. Uh, What a great show. I know a ton of people that went to that. And uh, I saw a bunch of pics, a bunch of videos. Johnny Resnick from the Google Dolls came out. That was a surprise to everybody. But anyway, man, I'm I'm not jealous. I'm happy for everybody. Because it's just, it's great to see everyone out there in Western New York. Out there having a good time. Uh, You got the Erie County Fair still going on. That'll be going on all week. Uh, Of course, Bill's preseason has now started. That's awesome. They had a game last Friday in Detroit. Uh, You know, it's just a great time to, to be in Buffalo right now, man. That's for sure, ain't it? And I'll tell you what, you know what? Speaking of the Bills, preseason or not, man, that's a fun-ass game to watch last Friday. Wasn't it in Detroit? That's fun. I ended up going out with a couple buddies of mine to Brick Bar on Allen Street, which is the first time I've been out that way in a very, very, very long time. But anyway, I went out with a couple buddies, including, by the way, uh, shout out my girl, Kristen Kimmick, president of the Bills Mafia, babe. She was with us hanging out. It was, it was, It was a fun time, man. And what an exciting ending to that game. Again, I don't give a shit preseason or not fun football games are fun football games. Tyler Bass making that kick. That was clutch. I loved it. I loved it. Good night for a handful of players too. First round rookie, Gregory Rizzo. Dude, Groot looked good, man. He He looked good, man. I love it. Uh, You know what else I thought looked good? And uh, you know, I got to be objective here because I've been really, really hard on Devin Singletary on this podcast for quite a while, but I liked him. I thought he looked good, which is good. I don't dislike Devin Singletary as a person. I just don't think he's gonna be that great of a running back. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he's a stud. I hope he's a star. I'd love to see it. Anyway, he looked good in Detroit. Um, that Jake from the Marquez Stevenson bomb late in the game that set up the game winning field goal. That was great. It was just a good game. It was a good game. And we'll talk about some of the players and, and where I think they stand later in the week. Maybe I'll do that on casual Friday later this week with uh Joe Yerdon, and then we'll get you set up for the Chicago game coming up next Saturday afternoon in Chicago. But anyway, that's later in the week. Right now, let's get down to business. And here it is. My chat with former Buffalo Bills tight end, Touchdown Machine, Butch Roll. All right, my guest today playing in the NFL for eight years, including six with the Buffalo Bills. During that time, he became known as the guy famously described as all he does is catch touchdowns. That's because literally he caught 10 consecutive passes that went for Buffalo Bills touchdowns. To this day, one of the most amazing stats I've ever seen. He also has the Butch Roll Foundation care for kids where they give help and hope where it's most needed. This Saturday, Butch's Foundation is putting on a really cool annual bowling event at Strikers in West Seneca at 11 a.m., I'm going to put all that info in the show notes. We'll talk a little bit about it as well today. Former Buffalo Bills tight end, Butch Roll. What's going on, Butch? How you doing, buddy?
2: Pretty good. Pretty good, Patrick. And thanks for having me on. I I, I have to, I wouldn't be me if I didn't correct you. I do this all the time. Uh Every time I do a, a show and a podcast or an interview, I always correct everyone. The touchdown ten touchdowns that number is wrong it's 14 touchdowns Ooh. i don't yeah i don't know why wikipedia who is not a reliable source because being in his doctorate core doctor program i am in and they tell you not to rely on wikipedia as a reference. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot we can't even use that as a reference doing our um, when you turn in papers they don't take wikipedia <laughs> because it's so inaccurate anybody can go and make change but it's 14 you know what, like I thought a, a player knows all his stats. That's one thing they gave that's what they gave me at the time, you know, along with my coming in on third downs and third at the third tight end, a triple tight end or whatever we ran, double tight end or a special team, is that what they gave me? I just tried to take advantage of it.
1: That is and even I, even more incredible, Butch, than, <laughs> than before. That is just uh like I said, even at ten that was one of the the, the yeah. most mind blowing <laughs> stats. I've I've ever seen in my life. People play football their whole life and don't get into the end zone. You know what I mean? Know, you did Fourteen consecutive gets, times.
2: Marv gave me the end zone. He told me, "This is your territory here. This is what I'm giving you. This is what's you know the the goal line." I mastered it, and Jim knew what's up. He every time we go out there, I told him, "I said, dude, that play is open. Let's run it." you know i wish we could have ran it every game or at least every other game right <laughs> it would have been the stats. <laughs> the stats would have probably been higher so you know that record but no it's um listen man we had a squad dude and it was a wonderful time six years over there in buffalo um man i was blessed you know being part of a dynasty that still lives on and now you know our boys now they're taking over that ring and they're gonna continue that and start you know do their thing with the um with their play that they had last year and continue this year. I'm looking for these guys to be in LA, man. I like, I don't know. I'm sure every other bill is, but I, as a player, a former player and just looking at how they have developed and how they have come to be the team they are now it reminds me of us so much. And like I said, say it. I'm looking for them to be in LA this year.
1: Yeah. And I'll tell you what, in a little bit, we'll talk a, a couple of com, uh, comparisons between the, the super bills teams that you were a part of and, and how this team is looking right now. But before that, I kind of, one of the things I like to do when I get a former player on here is kind of give fans an opportunity to know a little bit more about you besides just what you accomplished on the field for the Buffalo Bills, which again, in your case, 14 consecutive touchdowns, just incredible. But kind of like, let's go back to the beginning, Butch. Like, you grew up in Florida, right? Where, where I just spent yes. the last five years, kind of like near Miami. I, like, talk I, about growing I, up I there.
2: I am back where it all started as far as a little kid. I grew up in Hallandale Beach, Florida. And right now I'm like twenty by thirty minutes away from that, you know, the area where I grew up. And I'm gonna be honest, man, growing up as a preacher's kid, it was strict. I don't know if you know about how that works, especially a Pentecostal one. It wasn't just a preacher, it was a Pentecostal preacher. So that's some strict ruling in the house and strict discipline and and my dad, you know, was always had to be a part of the church. Always had to be in his service. And as a kid, we were there until I became bigger and old enough to um, start sports. And I, you know, I didn't play sports at first. I didn't start football until the tenth grade. I never played football until the tenth grade. I was really? in the band. Believe wow. it or not, I was in the band playing the bass drum. That's why I'm. That's why I love my music now because I I was always into music. But yeah, I started. I didn't play my first football game until 10th grade. And it's wow. like a three. Yeah, it was three years on the run. You know, I was big. I was athletic. I was strong and just raw. I had no idea about football. And I had to learn the process real quick. Like I said, if you have the the discipline and, you know, and the tenacity to go out there and hit somebody and not afraid to be hit, you can play football. <laughs> and that's what my coach said. So I, it worked. And, I, um, yeah, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking about football. And I wasn't one of those little kids. I don't know, growing up, I did collect football cards. Me and my cousin we used to collect them and fight. Who had the, you know, was the Miami Dolphins back then? that 72 Dolphins. That was undefeated. And we was always wanted, anytime you get a Dolphin player, you want that card in your collection. So I grew up watching. But I never said, oh, I want to play football. I want to be like this. I never did because, I was, like I said, I was a church boy. I yeah. was always in church. I wanted to play music. I'm like, I like, my dude. I want to play the drums. I want to play the key. I want to learn every instrument there is, and which I did. And that's what I do honey. as a hobby. I play five different instruments and I'm loving it. But as a kid, man, I was not really looking at the glory of being a big football player. So it, I, it
1: was more your decision, Butch, when you were a kid that you didn't really, I mean, you, you enjoyed the sport. Like you said, you collect the cards and stuff like that as a kid. But Playing it, that was
2: something that, like, you really didn't want to do when you were young. No, I didn't think about it because I knew honestly, I wanted to play Little League, but like I said, we were such a tight knit, strict family. And my parents were, like I said, they were ministers and they didn't want me to go out there and play. They just borrowed my dad, didn't want so I just didn't think about it. I didn't, you know, cry about it. I was, uh, I wasn't upset. I'm like, okay, fine. And I never thought about it until I got in high school. Like I said, I didn't play until tenth grade. My ninth grade year, I was in the band, and my football coach, he, my, I, I, can I say what I can I say? Can I say ass on this story? You can I say, say whatever
1: it. you want to say, Bunch.
2: <laughs> my football coach seemed my big ass out there carrying a baseball, a bass drum, and he looked at me like, "What the hell are you doing in the band? You should be out here on the field." I'm like, "Well, here's what it is, Coach. My dad doesn't want me to play, and if you can go and talk to him and convince him." Hey, I'll be out here. Listen, the next day the guy was at my house, you know, assured my dad, listen, I'll protect him and I'll, you know, I'll make sure he's, you know, he does his schoolwork and I'll make sure he's safe and all the things that, you know coaches say to parents when they're recruiting and you know then you know once that happened but that gave the green light and the rest was history man I, like I said I had to learn on the run because I was raw and I was big I was 6'2 two, man 215 pounds in the, in the ninth grade back then that's pretty big and I ended up 6'3 6'4 six, six, 227 pounds and um at the end of my senior year and so and that's you know I had all these colleges recruiting me and I'm like okay I'm gonna stay close to home to go to University of Miami. Where I see my parents can see me and they can watch me play every week. And I went on a visit the University in Miami and Howard Snellenberg at a time who just passed away. Like I think last year that was Jim Kelly's coach. Sure. And so funny on my visit. That's when I first met my quarterback, Jim Kelly. He was a senior at University of Miami at a party, and I was there and I met him. We talk about that all the time. I say, Jim, I remember seeing you, man, just sitting on the table, looking like I don't know. You're looking glassy-eyed. I was laughing. <laughs> so, but that was my first time meeting him at um, at University of Miami. And, but here's the thing: they wanted, they were talking to me. They wanted me to play defensive tackle. I played linebacker. I used to like to hit people fast. I was all up, so I would say outside linebacker because I was tall. And I said, wait a minute, defensive tackle? That means I have to put on about 50, 60 pounds and get down in the trenches. I'm like, no, thank you. I opened up my, opened up my um, recruiting trips to other schools. I went to Michigan State, South Carolina, Pittsburgh, Clemson, all these schools, and I ended up going to Michigan State in the wintertime. Never seen Nicole like that and so it was just a different campus. It was beautiful. It was far away from home. You know, I wasn't scared to leave home. So I said, you know what? This is where I'm coming. And uh, you know, it's the best decision I made. Uh, thank God for it. And, you know, I don't regret anything. I'm a Spartan. I love my Spartans. I bleed green and white and I'm there a Spartan for life as a bill for life. So yes. <laughs> Well, (laughs) let's, let's
1: unpack a little bit of this here because I'll tell you what I I
2: spit out a lot, right? I want you to,
1: you're the guest. (laughs) I'm just a host. I'm supposed to tee it up and you're supposed to, to entertain and give everyone all the information about you, but let's got to go back. So this is what blows my mind. right. So you don't even play football. You don't even start playing football until you're in 10th grade. And obviously you have great size, like you described. And and by the way, (laughs) and people, I guess you have to be in Florida to truly understand this. And I, I just spent five years in Florida my son played high school football in Florida it's just a different so animal know, down there it is it, oh it's
3: unbelievably
1: God, yes. good that the athletes it's a year-round <laughs> sport in Florida yeah and the athletes are just bigger stronger faster just flat out yes. better
2: you know so it is so true man I tell you if you don't have any Florida I tell any college if you don't have any Florida players on your team it's going to be hard to win man I'm sorry <laughs> I don't care what you say that's just the way it goes <laughs>
1: how do you go from not even playing in 10th grade to you know, it's one thing if you picked up the football and you start playing in 10th grade and then maybe you went to a JUCO for a year or a smaller right. B1 school and you developed into, like, a really good player, eventually an, an NFL player. But, man, you're talking – I mean, you just run off some of the biggest schools in the country. The U, know, Clemson, listen. Michigan State, all the, all these yes, big schools. And listen. you were only playing for, what, a year, year and a half, two years? And you're getting recruited yeah, by all three, these well, schools. Actually,
2: three years. You know, J and, and it's the funny thing about it. I played JV in 10th grade. So it wasn't even varsity. I played varsity two years wow. and just played J. So I had to learn, like I said, I was fast. I had athletic ability and the coach seen it. I, and he always, I always had to be the first in all the sprints because I was bigger and faster. And, you know, even though we had running backs that we had on the team, but I was still faster. And But like I said, okay. at some point they would put me all over the field. They gave me a nickname, Hallandale's Mr. Everything. I was playing, I played from center. I used to kick the ball off. I was a punter. I played uh, defensive line at one point till I wow, middle linebacker was was hurt in high school. And then they put me up. And once they put me up and I was able to see everything, I told my coach, listen, I'm not going back down. I'm staying right here. So when the guy got hurt, I say, listen, yeah, you have to put him someplace else, which he did, because I was, was way better. And I say, listen, he's going to have to go to another side, the other side of the, the jack or whatever linebacker. But I'm not moving from here because I can see the whole field. And, and listen. And that's when I just started developing. I can read the plays. I'm running from sideline to sideline, running, you know, they tell me, running, running, running down running backs, running down receivers. That's catching slants from the line of scrimmage. And I'm catching them, uh, you know, with a 20 yard head start. And I'm just, you know, that's what really put me in that light of being seen by these big colleges. D1, I had the size. And like I said, I played a little bit of very little tight. So fun, I played very very little tight end. I was going on, on a play or two once in a while, but we had a pretty decent tight end, Matthew Tony, at the time, and I played very little. So I wasn't even a tight end. <laughs> so funny. And I said, "Wow, I end up doing that." But I had the abilities, man. You know, when I went to Michigan State, believe it or not, even though I didn't go to University of Miami, I still ended up changing positions my first week in rookie camp. All the other linebacks was catching the ball, struggling to catch it with their bodies and missing the ball. I was catching the balls in my hand, plucking it out there, throw it high, catch it over my head. So when I'm catching on the instincts, have me catching like a tight end or like a receiver. My coach looked at me like, wait a minute. You ever play tight? And I say tight end. No, I say, I don't want to play no offense. I want to hit people. I don't <laughs> want nobody hitting me. So, <laughs> so I said, he say, no, listen try it man you remind me of billy Joe priest you know he was another spartan over there who played with the cowboys and i had his numbers he's like well, i'm like come on are you serious man you gonna put me a tight end after that and left florida because i didn't want to play you know down on the defense and i wanted to stand up however listen i tried it i there was a senior they had and this guy wasn't that good he was about soft softest cotton balls so <laughs> i wound up beating i wound up beating him out and he was so upset he was calling me t um coach's pet and, you know just as you know one of those seniors i say and i had to stand up to him, I and say listen you don't know me like that i told you I can assure you the reason why you lost your job because you weren't good, man. You're soft and you're sorry. That's just bottom line. I'm better than you. I came (laughs) in as a freshman and I took your job. I don't know what else to tell you. And that was the end of that. And I ended up um, starting my freshman year, like middle of the freshman year. Lost a red shirt because we had a, a coach that was fired. So. You know, it was one of those things, but I then that left me with three years in college. I was like, here we go again. I said, I can't even get a red shirt to develop. But right. I listen, I just got stronger, bigger, faster. And my coach uh at the time that came in and took over was George Burles, Pittsburgh Steelers, um, offensive line coach, uh defensive line, whatever he was, and he knew the game. He was looking at me, he's like, Listen you keep practicing playing the way you're playing, you'll be playing on Sundays. And when I heard that, that's all I needed. That was the motivation I needed to continue to get better, stronger, faster, and just do what I need to do. Stay in, you know, get good grades in school. And it happens, man. The rest is history. So I thank God for those blessings, man. Just being able to um, have that life as a kid growing up. And like I said, never playing the sport and being raw at it and then coming into my own as an athlete then developing in high school and college and being able to play in the nfl which is you know every college player's dream sure and this is less than two percent of the plum guys from college make the nfl so that's a small percentage of chance you got a higher chance of failing than you do of succeeding. so i was blessed and to um stay healthy and get eight years in and dude i had six of them with the best city and the best team ever. So I, that much I embrace and relish so much.
1: Do you feel like sometimes like fate brings you to where you got to go? Because I mean, you just described it. You, you go to Miami and if they they didn't want you to play defensive tackle, you probably end up there, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would have been a hurricane and all of local guys like yeah you would have been a cane but you know i'm like screw the you man i don't care about no you i'm a spartan <laughs> so this is what i am yeah. now i'm a spartan and that's what it is now huh?
1: going to michigan state um kind of like your experience with buffalo which we'll get into in a minute when, when you first mm-hmm. get there they're not good
2: two no, and nine two and nine your horrible. first
1: year Two and nine yeah, your first we, year. Yeah, we had
2: muddy, we had muddy waters, man. Yeah, pretty muddy competitive
1: up. after that though. And
2: yeah, oh yeah, you, we and, came and around.
1: I, I'm looking at your numbers and and they're good stats. I mean, again, they're not just catching touchdowns at not Michigan State. I mean, 57 yeah, I catches, six hundred yeah, four I yards.
2: Some, I was catching some passes that, until Lorenzo White showed up with you know running the ball like like a madman, and that kind of just took away our passing game where we just pretty <laughs> yeah. much went deep or a toss thirty eight, a toss thirty nine, but. You know what? We were winning. George was, like I said, you know, he had made that comment about playing where I'm playing. And then again, I'm always being compared to somebody. Like I said, at Michigan State, it was Billy Joe Dupree. Now I'm being compared to Benny Cunningham, who was the Pittsburgh Steelers tight end back in the days. Sure. And, I said, you know, I'm laughing. I'm like, hey, listen, I don't care. I'll be happy to be compared to these guys. These guys are playing in the big times, and if that's what it is, if I look like them, uh, I remind them of them. I'll be in them all day long. So, yes, we um, I did a lot of blocking at Michigan at one point. And once again, I was the, the goal line of touchdown guy because I caught a lot of um, touchdowns, a couple of game-winners. One at Notre Dame, one my sophomore year, and then my I think my junior or senior, year, I caught a game winner at Purdue. So it was one of those things I always had. Seemed like a, they always gave me. And I had that knack for that end zone when it comes to um, you know, finding that little crease in there, in that spot to get open where Jim or one of the quarterback can zip it in. Because dude, that area is so congested. Everybody just focused on the run. It's really tight down there, so it's hard to get in there sometimes. But if you got the will and determination like we had back then, trust me we got in there all the time with, you know, I had me Thurman was in the backfield, uh, Rob Riddick at the time called Byron and dude, that was that big jumbo package. And we made sure once we got down there, we were going to put it in the end zone.
1: And that you, we did when you're uh, like, even now you, I'm sure you appreciate looking back at college and, and playing at some of these stadiums, but as a, Basically, as a teenager, and you just talked about catching the game when he passed against Notre Dame. You know, one of the
2: most famous, yeah, I know, right? famous, oh fra-
1: famous colleges in all of all, of all of <laughs> sports. It, man, does right? that ever feel like? Yeah, I'm sure it does. I mean, this is a rhetorical question, but how surreal is that to you when you look back and your accomplishments, going back to college before you even get to the NFL, and saying, oh, "I played a just Notre Dame caught a game winning touchdown." I'm I like, "Yeah, hey, I'm, I'm going to watch him on TV next week."
2: You know, so it's, <laughs> I'm telling you. I, I can remember that day when that happened. It was like, I thought I was dreaming. I'm like, wow, did I just catch a game winner? You know, as a as a tight end and, you know, as a big college athlete, you're, you, you know, you catch passes, but they actually win the game. that's something that was special and that, you know, that just kind of brought us together as a team, as a Spartan team, said, hey, we have a good squad here we have a good running back, we have some good wide receiver. we had Mark Ingram and Andre Risen as our two wide outs, so you know what those guys did in the NFL, and that's just, you know, we had a squad, man, and I was, um, you know, I always look back, I have a couple of um, some highlight uh, highlight CD, and it has a few of my college, actually it starts off with a couple of high school plays, then it goes into, you know, a series of some college plays, and that play is on there, and all these plays are on there that I watch it once in a while. I'll go back and watch it and just just kind of recap everything. It's like, wow, man, this is a journey. And, you know, I was blessed. Like I said, not a lot of guys can make it to do what I did. I was blessed. There a lot of guys have been there who I've, you know, encountered as teammates. And these guys become brotherhoods when you're in the NFL and you see these guys and you just get this this butterfly this warmth in your heart of seeing these guys again because you know you shared the locker room you shared defeat you shared victory with these guys and it was just such a pleasure always a pleasure to see these guys when i don't see them in a while from you know from my college come teammates to my um, NFL teammates it's just something that just triggers inside like I said it's like little butterflies going inside you're like you're happy he's got to see them still around and successful and you know just to reminisce about the old days and what we used to do in practice or at a game you know remember this do this time you remember this that time and this. these are the things that you um kind of encounter and develop as a player and any team sports where those memories will stay with you forever
1: So, butch, you're in tenth grade. You start playing football, JV. A couple years later, you're you're at one of the the most again famous campuses in the country for football. A couple years after that, before you know it, you're uh, an NFL prospect. The NFL Combine that we've come to know and love wasn't even in Indy yet. You know when you came out in 1986, I think it was still in it was in New Orleans. Or New Orleans? I
2: was in New Orleans if I can remember. It was in New Orleans. Thought it was, I could have, I could have sworn it was in the New Orleans at the time. What was the, we what was
1: have. the pre, what was the pre-draft process like for you? Um, when did you start to get a sense that you had a legitimate chance to to get drafted and, and be part of the fraternity well, in the NFL? Like, know, what was that offseason like? Getting ready for the draft, what was that like for you, from what you can remember?
2: Just, just, I mean, you know, in that senior year of college, you, you know, you're hearing all of the hoopla and the hype. And like I said back then, it was same guy who was here, Mel Kiper. You know, Mel Kiper Jr. Mm-hmm. Mel Kiper's been around for a while, so he was, you know, always on ESPN or uh, the news talking about the draft. And I remember him talking about watch this sleeper out of Michigan State. He's talking about what's This guy, whoever I'm, he's had me projected the third round. Me and this guy out of Houston, Carlton Hilton, was, was supposed to be third rounders coming in. But you know, the draft is always the draft. It's twelve rounds at the time, and it's a format the way it's you know they pick the draft of whatever is who was on the board and their priority of different positions and you know it's just the way it, i ended up waiting to the seventh round which you know like i said it was an opportunity it was seven it was 12 rounds and it's just the idea of getting in the nfl of being drafted was a blessing it was an honor and it was an accomplishment and believe it or not the coach at the time like i know you mentioned the will Wolford, not wilford but um Hank Buller <laughs> was the head coach yep. at the Bills who drafted me. He knew me. He knew George Perlis. He was friends with George Perlis. I remember him calling George Perlis asking about me. And, you know, I was this guy, you know, George was, you know, giving him the feeling, Hey, this guy blocked He'll work for you all day long. These are things he was saying. And so I remember Hank Buller calling me up on draft day asking me, if I draft you, how would you come to Buffalo? If I draft you, you gonna block for me? Are you gonna catch and pass? I'm like, really? Of course I will. Just draft me and see what happens. So that's what it. Is. Sure enough, man, I was. So you had a sense. Had you it. had
1: a sense that Buffalo could be uh, on the radar for, for taking you in the draft. It wasn't like a complete shock to you that the Bills ended up drafting
2: you. It was because I didn't know. That's what I'm saying. I didn't right. know. Hank Buller called me on draft day. Somebody was. They were saying I was. I was gonna probably end up in Seattle. But like I said, I don't like I say, you know how the draft is. I don't know sure. if picks was traded up or whatever happens. But I, you know, I get the call from Hank Buller, who's in you know the Bills draft room. And he asked me those questions. And I told him, yes, all day long, anytime you want. And that's exactly how it happened. And, well, so you know what, I'm a Buffalo Bills drafts, you know, seven-round pick. And, um, you know, started my career in Buffalo, New York, which I've never been to, never heard of. I've heard of New York, but I never heard of Buffalo. Oh, <laughs> so really? I, like, I you know, I vaguely because I never you know like I said I wasn't into football like that, sure. and I didn't really know. I've heard of OJ and stuff back in the days, but I would like I said I wasn't into it. My parents, you know, we were in church boys, so I didn't know anything about Buffalo, and New York. Wow! Well, I saw as you know, so I'm like I knew they had a team now, you know, coming out of college, but I never followed them to know even if they were good or not. Well, they
1: weren't. <laughs> they weren't when you got there let's just uh, be honest here okay <laughs> yeah, they, they were not good you came off they of 84 weren't. and 85 back-to-back 2 and 14 seasons you get yeah. there 1986 your rookie year and yeah the team I mean for a lack of a better term they stunk in 4 and yeah, 12 your rookie were, year so that was your yeah. rookie, your rookie it They're was Jim good. Kelly's yeah. rookie year I mean he had played in the USFL but it was first year in the Yeah, NFL. I remember that the, when they drafted yeah, me and I remember
2: the, seeing Jim on yep. the board. And the, and so, yes.
1: The defense was not good. Outside of Bruce Smith, who had, he had 15 sacks. It was his second year. And yeah. Darryl Talley. But outside Talley, of Tally yeah. and Bruce, a lot of people hey, on yeah. that defense would be on their way out over the next year or two. And then on the other right. side of the ball, kind of the same deal. Um, the offense struggled some. Now, Will Wolford, who is from your class of 1986. Yes. I've yes, had him on the Will. podcast previously. And one of the most okay. fascinating one, one of the most fascinating <laughs> conversations I've I've ever had on this podcast is uh, talking to him about that nineteen eighty six, that rookie year, and him coming from <laughs> a good program to a pro you know, come yes. to the NFL. And again, the Bills were a terrible team at that time. And he referred to that infamous game in Tampa in nineteen eighty six. He was a rookie, you were a rookie. And I, mm-hmm. apparently Will was talking about word got out that Hank Buller was going to get fired if the Bills lost in Tampa and mm. he told me and Will was on the podcast talking about veteran players were basically to some extent threatening him and threatening guys don't we ain't winning this football game man they were not oh. very interested in winning that game and Will was very upfront about it sure enough yeah. sure enough uh mm-hmm. Tampa loses Hank Buller gets fired because again, I mean yeah. I mean, I'm not, this isn't my opinion. I'm talking to guys who were in the locker room and shared it with you. And he said, Yeah, you know, just the culture was not good early on in 1986. Bulla got fired, but Marv Levy became head coach, and obviously things began to change. Now in eighty seven, the team was okay, but I mean, you had a guy, Shane Collin and Nate Odoms and Leon Seals and yeah. House Ballard in the draft and Right. That was at the point where there was starting to be a really good foundation built. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about being a rookie, going from Michigan State to to the NFL, and being out of team that was frankly very bad. But then that process of building the team and building the roster and becoming a eventually a, a perennial Super Bowl contender every year.
2: Listen, I know what you're saying. I um, you know, coming from Michigan State, we had just left out my senior year, had just I played in the All American Bowl. So we had to have a winning record to do that, of course. And, you know, I came to Buffalo as a rookie. I'm going to be honest with you. I was just happy to be drafted. It was something that was, uh, you know, accomplishment. And I was like a little kid in awe. And I look at this, I'm like, I'm drafted. I'm in the NFL. Wow, that's a dream. I know, like I said, that first year, I'm so, you know, we're in the city of Buffalo. It's not a big city, of course. And. We're there, practice. Thing, like we'll say, the practice is more than fun. Right. It was just horrible. The guys didn't have that energy and that that um, dedication. It was just a different atmosphere. And of course, like you say, yeah, I remember those guys talking about this, saying, "Hey, man, let's get this, you know, whatever out of here." I don't need to say to repeat the words, but they were they didn't like Hank, right? And They uh, wanted him out, and yes, he gets fired, and you know, then Marv comes in building pieces of the team, you know, drafting and putting guys in places, you know, getting Jim a line. And so he can, you know, maneuver and be a, the Hall of Famer quarterback he is. And You know, Andre and Chris Burkett was there, which I remember Chris Burkett was the big crybaby. He always got mad because he didn't get enough passes. And it, was, it would always be just some dissension on the sideline because he thinks he's open. And he should have gotten the pass. And right. it was just, you know, we had to get those kinks out, man. He had a lot of arrogant babies on that team. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, you know, like I said, I come from a humble, humble beginning. And I'll just look at myself. I'm like, you know what? I'ma do my job. I'm not gonna, you know, cause any problem because what's for? We're on a we're you know, you're in the NFL. You know, it's a blessing to be here. You you're fortunate to be here, you're good enough to be here and you're here. So yeah, everybody wants the ball, but not everybody gonna get the ball. We know how that works. It's, you know that's how it does. But once we got rid of those bad apples, and the team started gelling and understanding, hey, this is we're we're grownups here. We're men. We have a good team here. We can do something. It's something special here. Once we realized that, then the winning, then the wind started rolling off. And then, like I said, Marv, like I said, Marv was a hell of a coach, man. He didn't yell. He was smart, intelligent. And he would, you know, he would coach, you with intellect. And he was just one of those guys that, you know, you love to play for him. You know, he was, you know, he was, uh, you know, he knew the game. Like I said, he knew how to put players in the right position. And that's what he did. We used, to, um, you know, the outcome of that, man, we were, became a dynasty. Man, Hey, I love my Bills from that era, man. These are my boys. And like I said, I was so happy to say I have been a part of that team. And I was, you know, one of the – crucial players, key players, players that will be able to um, contribute that did something and helped us, you know, attain those um, AFC championships.
1: When you talk about, or we hear a lot about, you know, it's not about the X's and the O's, this is about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. And that's certainly true to an extent, but when you look back at your career in Buffalo, at least, and you think back to that locker room in 86 and 87 and then you think back to the locker room like in 89 90 91 was it like a night and day difference the chemistry with the, not just the talent but like the culture in the locker room the chemistry how much how much does that matter D, as a former nfl player
2: man that played a big difference because you know as a, as a former player and, and as a gentleman you know, man who's out Doing so much in the community with my foundation and working with my kids the other day, mentoring and, you know, doing with, working with real estate, my fitness. I do a lot. I'm in school. So, yes, it's um, it means a lot because it lets that learn to help me to learn that you can't do nothing without a, a team. First of sure. all, if you want to win, I mean, even in golf, you have a caddy, man. It's not like you want, you know, holding the bag by yourself and walking. You have a caddy, you have a people that are there. But, it, you know, as a, as a football player and just being a part of a team that I took that into my man, you know, my adulthood life and my life now and let everybody know that. Listen, if you have any parts of this team that's dysfunctional, you're not going to win. It's not going to work. It's going to be problems. So everybody has to be on the same page, on the same page, because if not, then you're going to lose. That's just bottom line. It's going to be difficult to win. So I, um, I'm i going to tell you, that difference between the you know, guys growing up and understanding, listen, we have our role. We all can be successful. We all can win. As long as we're winning, that's what matters. And that's how we began to look at it and guys that can come as one and say, hey, let's make this thing special and let's go ahead and um, do our job, everybody do their job, defense do their job, offense do their job, and we can win some games, which we were. And I mean, they ran that (laughs) K-gun. That was unbelievable, man. We were just, they were like a track meet out there. They were running up and down that field. I'm like, God, I'm, I'm sitting on the sideline sometime when I'm not in the game. I'm looking like, wow, dude, just scored already? Say this is unbelievable, but it was beautiful. It was fun you know? to watch. It was oh fun to watch God, as a fan. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you guys, as a fan, man. I mean, man, this Buffalo is so awesome. They got the best fan base. I've never seen any other city as crazy as Buffalo fans and it's into their team. Like I said, I played in Phoenix for two years. I thought I was at a funeral every Sunday, man. That's how dead those fans were back then. I'm like, wow, dude, this is like night and day for leaving Buffalo. But, you know. It was opportunity, man, it's, sure. you know, you know, it's about business, it's about money. I'm sure. not even trying to do I'm not even lying to you. You know, everybody knows you want the best deal. I wanted Buffalo to match that deal, but you know, they like, they had Keith there at the time, McKellar. So they gave him that contract and he ended up being hurt the whole two years. So I said, you know, it is what it is. And I just did, but that my heart never left Buffalo. Every year I was rooting for them and I would come back there because of my kids were living there. And I was always, had, I had a place in Buffalo still. So I would come back there, and, you know, pull from full, pull full of guys because I had a lot of friends on the team. And, you know, that place is just, like I said, that fan base is crazy out of, you know, just off the chain and I love it. And the funny thing is that I live in Florida. I think there's more Buffalo fans down here than it is in Buffalo. <laughs> I <see>. uh,
1: well, <laughs> like, I don't know about all that, but there are. Lot, I know, you oh, know, there are. I, mean, I know you're. you're so many, that man. I, you know, yeah. i just There's you, a lot, though. Not... Oh, absolutely. I,
2: I was shocked. I was like, I could not believe all the Bill's Backer bars they have from up starting up the top of Florida to the bottom, and yeah. just here along in the Florida area, I think they have like in this local, like between Miami and Broward and Palm Beach, I think they have like maybe eight Bill's Backers. Bars. I'm like, what the hell? I didn't listen. That's unbelievable. I love it, man. (laughs) It is badass. I just go out there and just every time I see somebody with a Bills um, logo on something, I have my Bills logo. I have it on my um, truck. And man, those people just light up. Their eyes light up and everybody just goes crazy when you mention those uh, guys' name. Because it's that, that the feeling's back, don't you? Sure. know that the feeling's where, well remind I'm telling you, this team is our team in the future. That's what it is. Speaking of
1: feelings, Butch, I had the great opportunity to interview Daryl Talley once. And Daryl Talley is one of my all-time <laughs> favorite, my not yeah, just Darryl, Buffalo Bill's cool favorite football players of all time. And I remember very well asking him, what did he consider the highlight of his career? And I figured he was going to talk about a big interception or a sack or a fumble, something like that. And he told me the highlight of his career was standing on the sideline before Super Bowl 25 when Whitney Houston sang the national anthem. He said it oh, gave him chills. Listen. He said it was the highlight of his career. I want to get your take on that moment because, Dude, I mean, that, we can replay that. that forever. But to be on the sidelines, man, what was that ah. moment like for you?
2: I would you know, I I'm telling you, man, that's so funny you said that. I tell, I just told somebody that just recently, like I think it was, uh, yeah, the Olympic was going on. You know how they play the um the song when uh when U.S. wins and sure. I just tell everybody, dude, I don't care what you say, there's nobody that did that song. It's better it did a good job it was did it justice as uh, Whitney Houston. Oh my God, man. I was standing there just like Darren was. I was standing right there like feet away from her, uh laughing to somebody. I said somebody I should have took her from right there. That's when she was at Bobby Brown, man. I should have took her away and got away from <laughs> that madness. <laughs> 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 but I laughed. But listen, that was oh my God. That that Super Bowl twenty five in Tampa, you know, there and in, in your home state, and it was just a feeling. A surreal feeling that I've never felt before. And that game, whole game vibe was just different from practice and just the way the whole atmosphere and the air was out there. It was just a different, um, it's a different mode, man. I don't know how to explain it, but it wasn't like a normal weekly uh, preparation or just a game. At the beginning, until you actually started the game and got the first thug and first thump and got hit, and then you were uh, into the game mode, but just the the environment it was like uh I don't know, maybe you know what if I had to describe it, maybe that's what closest to what heaven I feel like that's what I felt like it was just such um uh, just a feeling of just happiness, man, and just being there and the fans and all the you know oopaloo, everybody's you know walking around in their field gear and it was different, man. That's the experience that I was glad I was able to experience. But yeah, that's that you know, that's what it pretty much boils down to.
1: How difficult is it, but as a as a pro athlete and you're playing football at the highest level in the world, and at some point, I don't care who you are, at some point, just like everybody who's ever played in the league, it's gonna become the end of the road. When it's that time, do you did you get a sense of when it was that time? Was it a difficult adjustment for you? Initially, when your time's up in the NFL and and it's time to step away, what was that process? Do you remember? Like, was it a difficult decision? Was it hard for you to adjust at first?
2: No, what it was. Here's the other thing. Like you said, you know, football is a very physical game, and. Everybody, you know, knows that you have a lifespan is very short expectancy. You know, if you get a a good amount of years out of there, you, hey, you've been blessed. Like I said, you're staying healthy or being better, you know, getting better every year and being on a successful team. And nobody wants to stop playing. I'm still a heavy player until, you know, until you know you can't play anymore. But it's just a thing that when I remember retiring, when I left the game of Phoenix, I felt like I was cheated because, I didn't retire because I wasn't. I was hurt. I was at thirty. What said thirty-one, thirty-two years old. I retired because of bad management. I had an agent who was brand new, and I tell everybody this. And I don't leak. I don't mind. His guy was new out of um, Sarasota. I'm not going to mention any names, but he just did not know the game. He cost me a lot of teams of signing after Phoenix going into free agency. I had so many teams were interested in. The guy was trying to break the bank. And, you know, as a player, you're doing your job like staying in shape. That's what I just confided in him. I said, hey, listen, you take care of this. And I didn't know what he was doing until it was too late. It was the end of the end of summer. And I'm like, wait a minute, why am I not signed? I have these teams are calling me. And, you know, I, I said, hey, talk to my agent. This is what I'm doing. I'm just I'm training. And this guy was trying to break the bank. And you know, that was the start of that salary cap it was a minimum. It's just that it wasn't, he didn't know what he was doing. And, well you know what? Everybody had met their salary cap and it was a minimum left. And I told him, I said, listen, I just left Arizona. I'm not going to go backwards. I just, not my style. I don't do that in life. I don't go backwards, man. I just go forward and I'll just sit out, you know, and I'm fine. I won't do anything or just hold out and just train and work out. And then I'll just come back in 95. So this is 94 season. So, uh, you know, that's what happened. I'm like, you know, a couple of teams wanted to sign for the league minimum at the time, which was like compared to this type of money is like poverty money. But, uh, you know, that's okay. But that's just how it is. Uh, I'm, I'm glad these guys are making money, you know, even though the game's a little softer. But, hey, it is what it is. I can't see that we didn't have these rules when we were playing. But, hey, I don't mind playing at my age. You know, I like to see, see blood in people's mouth and knock some chin straps off. So that's good for me. And I was looking at um, you know, I'm just saying I'm gonna sit out, I'm gonna work out and just stay in shape. End up getting um going to Phoenix. Not I'm sorry, not Phoenix, but Houston, the Oilers. That was Steve Air McNair at the time it was his first year and going there competing for a job and uh, End up getting pink eye from a friend of mine who drove to Dallas because that's where we had we had our training camp in San Antonio. So he was a good driver. They tell me this guy drive you and you know he's they, he knows how to maneuver the highways. And so I had him drive me up. And the guy didn't tell me he had pink eye until it was I know it was at a contagious stage. So I'm in camp. We're going through camp. My eyes are bothering. They're watering. I go to the team doctors. I'm like, hey, man, eyes won't stop watering, man. I don't know. I th- I'm just thinking it's from the dirt in the training camp of the 112 degree weather in San Antonio. And the doctor didn't even know he was giving me these drops. All I was doing is just keep putting stuff in and reinfecting it. It got so bad, man. My eyes started seeing little spots. I'm like, damn, I'm so am I gonna go blind? I can see, but it would just would not stop watering. So I went to a specialist. And it was conjunctivitis, which is another word for pink eye. So I had to go on injury reserve and just sit there. And I was in Houston at the time, just on injury reserve. I'm like, wait a minute, man. I don't feel like being here. I was fine at the time. It got better, but I still couldn't really do a lot of things that I wanted to far as I wanted to get my vision cleared. I ended up going back home, coming back to Florida. And just kind of just sitting down and healing up and just trying to look at the future. Now I say, you know what? I didn't deal what I had to do as a businessman. I was trying to go as a business. I did, I did as a player. I'm sorry. And I'm just trying to go into the business world now. I have a degree in education. So let me start something. And I um, I got into real estate, man. You know, real estate. Well, somebody could talk to me about doing. That. I wanted to get my certification, so I got into the mortgage broker's business in a year. After I got into it, I had my own office. I said, "You know what? If I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna go all out. I wanna, I wanna make it closer to the money I made in the NFL. You know, I was able to um have a good 12-year business, and until the market all fell down, of course. And I said, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm not gonna try and renew my license. I'll just keep the realtor's license part of it, which I had both the mortgage and the realtor. So I just kept the realtor's license part of it. And that's you know, that's part of my thing, what I do today with the real estate and you know, with everything else I do. And it's just um a journey, man. And I you know, I look back, I say, Man, Marby's always say, Hey, create a plan and work your plan. I say, I guess that's what, exactly what I did. I created a plan and I was working the hell out of it, man, and still working it. And yeah. that's just, the it is. So it's, it's like I said, man, that, you know, just coming from one aspect to another, that's the same way we transpire when we're, um, you know, known as the bickering bills. You remember that, nickname they gave us back oh in very day. well yeah <laughs> very well um the bickering bills i'm <laughs> laughing it's, it's funny man you hear guys in the locker how much truth
1: was the there players. to that? how much truth was there really to that butch what's that how much truth the bickering bills how legitimate was oh, it oh
2: man it was true as hell the guys i told the guys were now thinking about not doing this and uh, can't get enough fast can't do it it was just funny i listen as a player i Me and Ronnie Harmon, I know everybody don't like my boy Ronnie, but hey, I'm sorry. He was a Bill, and we got drafted the same year. He was the Iowa, and I was a Michigan State guy, and and we became real good friends, and we're close. We're We're still buddies to this day. I was his best man at his wedding when he first got married, and it's just so funny, man. Him and I would just sit back and just laugh. At everything, you know, you know, Ronnie Ronnie had that sense of humor that we had the same type of personality. We were just laughing at things because it was just hilarious. I say, what is he grown as men acting like that for anything? You know, it's just funny as hell. But you know, listen, we got past that you know mm-hmm. like i said dude, we have all these we have all these boys on the team that my boys they're hall of famers and i love that man i love to associate with that and i'm, I'm proud of those guys you know not, not everybody can be a hall of famer you know how that works it's just opportunities in the nfl you get it you get more some get more than others and you're able to um you know perfect your skill and perfect, perfect your craft and become you know immortal as they would call it and become that hall of Famer at the end of the day but hey I love the fact that I got my boys that are in that hall and you know I can say, Hey, I play with them. Those are my boys. So yeah, it's a good, it's a blessing, man. I like yeah. will tell everybody that.
1: that. I can't even imagine now you, I, I, again, I'm, I'm being rhetorical here. I'm, I know you keep up with the current Buffalo bills and it's a very mm-hmm. fun time because yeah, the team's been good for a couple of years. Like last year was a magical year, 13 and three, I oh don't want to say God, it was a. Go- it wasn't. It. it wasn't so much. I don't, want, I don't want to say necessarily a complete shock, but I don't think anyone saw that coming. But now my point Dude, is this:
2: I was I was shocked to the point to where I know they will win the AFC East. That part I said they're going to win the AFC East. Yeah, I knew that. But uh, I had I was just like when they get to the AFC Championship game, I'm like, whoa, this is real. We have a squad, man. Which, so yes,
1: right, and that leads to this though, but because now I would say this is the first time that the Bills have went into a regular season as favored to get to the AFC championship game since like when you were in Buffalo, it's been a very long time since there's been lofty expectations like
2: this. Is
1: that something and, you know, a little bit to be a little bit worried about, or is that something to be really excited well,
2: about right now? No, this is. I'm gonna say, I'm. A, I'm a, it's both aspects. You want to be excited about that um, they're recognizing as a good team, but at the same token, like we did, dude, we didn't take that uh, that news clipping. We took that crap and threw it right in the garbage. Who cares about the news clippings? That's because what they say and what you do are two different things. Sure, you can be. What can you? You can do what you can be an all American. dude. If you don't play like an all American, you're gonna be a flop. So my thing is. By them being projected to be this and that, that's great. That's good. excellent accolades. That means you know people are recognizing and respecting you. and You are the top dog. However, you have to go and play the game still. You cannot rest on those loyals and rest on those um, clippings because that trap will let you down real fast. Because that's all it'll be at the end of the day, is some clippings, and you have went, you know, you have ballooned your head up and realized that, you know, you're supposed to be good, but you're not good because everybody's gunning after you. you know that they want to kick your butt. And That's just how it is. So you, if they can keep their focus and not really care about all it is, this hoopla with uh, you know, this, that who cares about that? You're good. You know you're good. Now go out and show everybody every Sunday and play and win these games. That's when you, you know, you. You far as those clippings, that's when they come to fruition. Where you say, "Hey, now we can live up to the clippings, uh, and the remarks everybody's making about us." So you got to play the game. That's why like I can say they're good. I love this. Like I said, I see the team like as us, as like I said in the future here, and this is what it is. And they are. I'm happy to be, you know, to see them in this aspect, man. It's beautiful.
1: Before I uh, before we wrap up with the fun fact finale, real quick here, I want to know like what prompted you, what inspired you to to start the Butch Roll Foundation caring for kids, oh, stuff like that? Like what was, what was the, the premise? Like what was the inspiration to do that? Cause like I said, we already talked, I, I plugged the uh, strikers, you know, the bowling thing that's going on. You do a lot of stuff, charitable stuff. Yes, like what, what prompted I, you to, to want to start doing stuff like this?
2: You know, Growing, you know, as as I was in college, I, you know, I come from a large family, nine of us, you know, and I had always been around kids. And and in college, you know, I see, I saw how these young kids looked up to us as college players and athletes, and always made that that argument of that notion that hey, I want to work with kids, and when I'm done with everything, when I'm out of school, that's why, that's why I um, studied education. I have a degree in education, and you know and, and later on i got my bachelor's and i'm sorry my bachelor but my master's in business and now i'm in the middle of working i'm getting my doctorate and i have another last phase to go i'm working on a proposal wow. and this is the things i'm doing i i I know living in hollandale it wasn't no um silver lining no silver spoon where i had rich parents He had to work for everything i had to walk to school I had to ride a bike you know my dad was a hard like i say, he was a preacher hard work he had his own landscaping business and I developed those work ethics. I started playing football in 10th grade and I started working at public supermarket at the same time, you know, because I wanted Mm -hmm. to go after. I wanted to have my own car. I bought my own first car and and then, you know, had money to pay for gas. I was, you know, that's just part of it. And this um, I don't know, just the questions you're asking about that. I just. The foundation, I always wanted to start a foundation after I was done with football. However, I had my kids were born in Buffalo and I spent most of my time in Buffalo as opposed to Florida. So it was like, Buffalo is my second home. I tell everybody that and it's like going back and forth. And once they became of age and as long as they graduated, I just sat down with a bomb. Lorenzo had a foundation. I sat down with his coordinator and said, listen, I want to start a foundation. and I want to help my kids out here in the neighborhood because I have a lot of underprivileged kids that I see that they want to go to college. They always say, uh, but you want to go to college, man, but my parents can't afford it. You know, I don't like that because. It shouldn't stop any kid from wanting to further their education and be, you know, you know, valuable in their community. So I told her, I said, I want to start a, I want to start a foundation. I want to give scholarships to kids, help them with school tuition, books, all these underprivileged kids who just come up short because a lot of them have single parents, which is the mom. And she's working two jobs, trying to keep the lights on and keep everything. The kids are there studying at on home on their own, helping raising their sisters and brothers. And like I said, at the end of the day, that should not be a reason why they can't go to college because they're short of funds. You know, it's just hard. You know, if they didn't get the scholarship they wanted or the grants that they needed, and they come up short, that's where I come in. I call myself the X factor where we come in and help them with their tuition, help them with their room and board and books. And we've done this here in the Florida area where now I'm opening it up to Buffalo. All every place I've had the ability and um, the the chance to touch the place and be part of the community. I'm gonna be, you know, presenting scholarships in these underprivileged public area, public schools areas, such as like I said up here in Florida, Buffalo, in mean, Buffalo, we have Michigan where I went to school and Arizona where I played. So I wanna just have these four areas locked down where I'm helping doing my part. And this is how I can feel like I can get back and be supportive and, you know, be a factor in some child's life. And it's just been growing every year. And like I said, it's just one of these things that I gonna keep continuing to do because I can see that these kids need that help and open up other programs to help them with their learning skills or whatever it may be for them to get to that next level of being successful in college so that's where that passion comes from then i give it back to these kids in this community who i see that really needs it yeah that's uh
1: i tell you that that's really admirable and i'm not even being facetious i mean it i mean i truly mean no it. no very very admirable right. and i no, mean I that. It, man. Right. that's the
2: point that's my idea of you yeah. know patrick yeah. it's important to me yeah
1: Let's all right. So let's wrap up. I do the fun fact finale. All right, this is just going to be a handful of like kind of random rapid fire fun questions, not like really deep talk questions. Just uh, whatever the first answer that pops Uh-oh. in your mind, that'll <laughs> be your answer. And then, you know, okay. I have I have different kinds of questions for athletes and media people and stuff. So you mm-hmm. are an athlete, so well, we'll start with a couple of these. Like, who is the toughest player that you've ever practiced against? Like, who was your toughest teammate on the Bills? Like, who was the biggest pain in the ass practice? to practice against? Well, it wasn't a pain in the
2: ass, but to, um, who was that? The go against them, against them for far in practice, who had a hard head and a good base is my boy Darryl Talley. You know, because he played outside linebacker. So I had to go against Daryl all the time. And um in practice and that guy was just hard to block. He had long like lurch arms, bow legged, and a hard head felt like he you was know, just like steel concrete and all kind of hard sustenance in his helmet. But <laughs> <laughs> but no, Daryl was a tough guy. Daryl Telly.
1: Who was your n- non-Buffalo Bill? Who was your favorite player in the league? Non-Buffalo
2: Bill. Non Buffalo Bill. Wow. I have to say, I you know, all my Spartans who um all my players who play with me in college that made it to the NFL you know I got Lorenzo White Andre Rice Mark Ingram these guys you know Carl Banks you know another got Lonnie Young all these guys that I played with in college that made it these are my non these are my non Buffalo favorite players
1: I'm not going to I'm not going to let you give me a slanted Buffalo bias Thurman Thomas answer so we're going to disqualify I'm going to disqualify him
3: Who's, okay. the
1: best, who's the best running back of, of that era? Barry Kenny Sanders, Emmitt Smith. <laughs> no, Did you I'm just say you. Kenny Davis? <laughs> oh, I'm Kenny Davis, but come on, man.
2: No, I'm messing with you. Go ahead, Kenny. Hey, listen, I thought you, when you were talking about disqualifying, I thought you were talking about the Bills. Okay, go ahead. All right, go <laughs> ahead. Go ahead. Let me hear. Barry
1: Sanders or Emmitt Smith? Who, who's the be- who's the better running back of that era? Wait, you dis
2: you disqualified? um, I'm disqualifying Thurman
1: Thurman, because I know you're going to say Thurman. So you know I'm
2: going to say Thurman. I I know you are,
1: so that's why. But but,
2: okay, if you want to disqualify, I would say Barry. Barry just was more so elusive and just man, this guy. (laughs) I seen him make do plays. I hate to say it, Daryl, but I love you, man. But I seen him pull a move on Daryl. Talley, had Daryl arms crossed like he was giving himself a hug in the game. I was laughing. I'm like, that's funny but you know what? We won the game anyways. And, but yeah, Barry, i have to call Barry Sanders. What
1: was your favorite NFL stadium to play in besides Buffalo?
2: Miami, you know, what? because that's my hometown and I get to show off and come back and really put on a show and everybody in the hometown see me. Okay. that yeah, was Miami.
1: All right. couple more here. What's your, what's your go-to snack? No, you probably don't eat a lot of shitty food. <laughs> I know yeah, hey, it's going hey, how good a so shape you, you are. Have in, you
2: Google but... me Have you Google me? Like, <laughs> have you to see those apps. I have a I have a 10 pack, man. Or you know, it's depending on the showtime. If it's showtime, I have a ten pack. Well when you when you, the, when you feel time, like cheating a, a, a little, four little four bit, like pack. what's I, a go to when, when name? I feel like cheating, I'll be honest with you. Um I like calamari. And oh, okay. when I'm in Buffalo, dude, I gotta toss some wings, man. Pete's Buffalo have the best chicken in at Best Wings and Pizza, and I so I cheat when I come there every time at Jim's event. I leave there feeling guilty. I'm like, damn, I ate like a slob, but <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> but that's okay because it, it was worth it. Because like I say, Buffalo, I just you know they have the best pizza and wings. I used to tell those, eat those wings like they're going out of style back in the day yeah. man. But I, you know, yeah, that's what it is. I would say,
1: so. I would say in Buffalo. If there's two things that are religion, one is Buffalo Bills football, and two is chicken wings. You know, maybe not even in no no particular (laughs) order. Uh, A couple more here. What, I don't know how often you watch movies, but what movie have you watched that you've probably have rewatched like more than any other movie? What movie have you seen the most times?
2: The Talented Mr. Ripley. Dude, I can watch that movie. Again, and again, and again, and never get tired of it. Okay. You, you ever get, you know that movie? Yeah, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know that Judd movie. L-
1: yeah. uh-huh.
2: The, All the right. reason I like it because of music. That's so it has some good jazz in it. But yeah, go ahead.
1: All right. Two more here. I want I want you to name a TV game show that you feel like if you were on it, you could potentially dominate. It could be a current game show. It could be a past game show. Oh, anytime, any era. A game show That's you think a, you'd be good on.
2: Wow. That's the thing. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. I don't know, man. I'm I'm trying to think of a game show that I um I don't really watch a game show, but you know, okay. um Oh my god, man, you got me thinking here. I like Family Feud. Uh, yeah. Now I like the Family Feud. Now. Okay. I think if I had a you know a group of guys, I think we'd dominate that for sure.
1: Okay. Last one here. So we've talked football. We talked about you growing up. We've talked church. We've talked Buffalo Bills. Your foundation. Um yes your business, what about singing? Like, let's just say right now, instead of talking right now, 1300 mm-hmm. miles away, phone call, let's just say we were at some karaoke spot near Miami right now. And I yeah. convinced Butch, I said, Butch, get up there, man, sing a song. Let's. What are you gonna go up there and sing? Whether it's gonna be good or whether it's gonna stink, but it's gonna be something that people who are at the Dude, bar with us are
2: gonna rocking. be into. Well, that's the thing. I like blues, man. I'll get up there and sing a blues song. Yeah, and I would rock it because I'm a musician. You forgot. I'm gonna put it up here now because I know we have a little, a small time left, small frame of time. But um, I got. I'm doing a concert September 26 at the Bill Stadium. Where I'm trying to walk. I'm working on a venue right now, and the first venue is is the Big Tree. And the other one, I forgot the other one, but it's somewhere close to that to the stadium, that day when everybody's at their tailgating. Mm-hmm. We're doing it from 9.30 to 11.30. Um, it's a concert with the Bob Greco band. It's, wow. gonna be, it's called a State Rattle and Roll Legends Band. And we are doing a full two-hour concert from like 9.30 to 11.30. 30 you know, lot while people are tailgating. It's for the foundation. It's another event I'm having. And I play the guitars, like I said, earlier in the so show. You know, if I miss, I play five different instruments and I'm playing the guitar and the drums, most of the guitars that day. But that's what we're going to be doing for raising funds for the um, foundation and playing music and getting people ready for the game so they can kick the Washington football team's rear end. So that's what it's going to be. So if people mark that time, 930. I don't have the place, but I will be advertising it.
1: That is awesome, man. That's cool. I, I did not <laughs> I know. know that. Look at you, man. Oh. You really are a man of many talents. <laughs> and I mean, you did talk at the very beginning. I should have known with karaoke because I mean, you did talk about music growing up. So it's, yes, I mean, man. In hindsight, Hell I probably shouldn't have been surprised. But uh, That's anyway, <laughs> oh, yeah. and, right, give, give Butch a follow on Twitter. You are on Twitter at Butch Roll. Twitter. Like I yeah. said, August 21st, strikers bowling event 225, team of five, includes two yes. games of bowling with shoes, pizza pop. Um, You can be an individual and sign up. You can go to uh, Butch Roll foundation.org they got individual spot for 45 bucks raffles prizes guests all kinds of fun dude this was yes. this was a lot of fun i love I, can having players I, can I make like one, you comment, one
2: comment one comment patch before sure. with that comment you just made about the bowling event guys i have three lanes left if you're listening to this for now i i need to fill them up it's only three left and friday and i'm sorry wednesday is the last day to sign up, and you know I'm I'm banking on those lanes being gone. But I want everybody who's listening to this broadcast to to go on the website at the www.butcherowfoundation.org and pull up click up the bowling link, and you will see the option to um hit the event break and then be able to um sign up. So I would love to have you there. Like I said, the bills, mafias for real, and that's my team. These are my fans still to this day. So go ahead, Patrick. No, I was go just
1: going to say, absolutely. And this was, it's a lot of fun for me. You know, I do this podcast and I and I, and I try to be objective, but it's mm-hmm. hard when I get former players on like yourself. And it, it takes me back to a time when I was just a true fan of the team and some ah, of the best years, so you know, great. of my young adult life were following mm-hmm. the bills in the late eighties and early nineties. It brings back a lot of fun memories to this day and getting a chance to reminisce with some of them with with guys like yourself is just a big thrill for me so i just want to thank you very much for doing this podcast and i know people out there listening feel the same way i do and very much can enjoy hearing this from you so thank you so much pleasure
2: man i love my bills fans. you guys are the best man thank you for being who you are continue being that all
1: right boys and girls that is gonna do it for another episode very big thank you one more time. Former Buffalo Bills, great tight end, Butch Roll. Make sure you go check out the charity bowling event on Saturday, 11 a.m. Strikers, West Seneca, 225 for a team of five, $45 individual person. It's going to be a great time. Check the information out in the show notes. Thank you very much, Butch. Guys, girls, if you have not yet subscribed to talk to Buffalo Podcast, please go in and do that right now. Subscribe. Rate review, all that fun stuff. It really, truly helps me continue to grow this little podcast of mine. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at Pat Tweet. And I'm going to end this the same way I always end every episode. And that's by thanking you so, so much for listening. I mean it. I know it sounds boring and cliche, but I truly mean it. There's so many great shows out there. Just Buffalo Bills or Buffalo content alone. So when you're locked into this one for whatever amount of time you spend listening to me and whoever my guest is. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I truly, truly do. So thank you very, very much. Have a good week and we'll be back. You know what? I know we're going to be back no later than Friday, but who knows, man? You never know what talk Buffalo podcast may drop an episode before Friday. Talk to you soon.